Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. I have a co-host today with a resume that, as I was writing stuff down, I was like, Jesus, this is pretty, this is a solid body of work right in front of me. Um, you you may know him from years past uh, from the show Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell from FX and FXX. Uh, you may have read his book, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell, but don't confuse that with the new book that's about to come out, which is Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book, which he put out with Kate Schatz. But then maybe you saw his show from earlier this year on Showtime. We need to talk about Cosby. And maybe, maybe you're a CNN viewer. So you know United Shades of America, which is also currently now airing new episodes. So I could go on. Maybe, perhaps check out that Private School Negro Netflix comedy special. Um, and I'm not even done, but to keep going would be a bit, I don't know, pedantic. So W. Kamau Bell... <laughs> Wow. Busy. Okay. Busy 2022. Not that you like did all these things in the past three months and now they're coming out right now. Mm -hmm. But when you have an onslaught of work coming out at at a, like a small window in time, is it like, wow, all of that is out the door and I sort of feel the weight off my shoulders for now. Oh no, the weight's yeah, the weight is still yeah. there because because I because there's other things that I'm now working on. So like it's like that never. Uh, I mean, a couple things. One, uh, if I was a if I didn't have like a wife and kids, I would probably not work gotcha. so much. So I think there's a thing about like my three kids wanting to eat <laughs> every day uh, that I sort of like puts a little bit of panic in you. And as someone who's in show business, you don't ha- you, it's not mm-hmm. like working at a factory where you go, I'll just have yeah. to do this job. <laughs> like You know, I, I got I'm in the union. I am in the union, but it's not really the same kind of union job that America used to be proud of and now is trying to destroy. You know, so there's that. And then there's just like a lot of this specifically was like work that was like like the book me and my co-author Kate Schatz started working on during the pandemic and so it's sort of like there was sort of this thing about like things had slowed down and there was a moment where I was like this we had this idea for this book and I was also like I don't know when I'll be going back on the road to film United Shades anymore or we were working on the Cosby thing and that had shut down and I was like maybe that's maybe I'll never go out on the road again and then the fall came and seen and is like yep just like always we're going I'm like but there's no vaccine and also I'm scared that's good. We like it when you're scared. And so I was suddenly like had too much on my plate. So it, it does feel good to like this book. I'm really excited to get out because like I said, we started working on it in the middle in post George okay. Floyd's murder. And there was a the publisher was I was like, too bad we can't release this today because America's really talking about racism <laughs> right now. And we we're like, that's probably going to be fine. That's probably going to be. You're like, if I know evergreen me, topics. Yeah. So it does. So it doesn't feel less relevant now than it did two years ago, sadly. Completely tangentially, but I did just want you know I I real it must have been subconscious this morning when I made the choice. I don't know if you yourself are a sports fan, but I did wear my pool party Jordan Pool Golden State <laughs> Warriors T shirt. I'm not only am I a fan of Golden State, first of all, and you know, and I got to go to one of the finals games because luckily oh. I've lived long enough in the Barry. I, I know people, uh, so you know, yeah. So I got to go with my friend Pastor Michael McBride. But also, like, I feel like I've been pretty basketball blessed in my life. I grew oh, up in Chicago during on. the Michael Jordan era. Come on. So, like, you're just, just you're, you're, you know, have so, you oriented your life around where Steve Kerr is going to go next then? I, well, to be fair, I was in Chicago before okay. he got there, and then I was in the Bay Area before <laughs> he got here. So I think he's following me. So I actually, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to let him know that next time I see that because I didn't think <laughs> about that. Where I go next, he'll have to go to. That was a tangent, but it also is a bit applicable because. The character that you have brought for us to discuss today is 
Denzel Washington's Eli in The Book of Eli. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about uh, the San Francisco Bay Area being the promised land and the cradle of future civilization? <laughs> I mean, it was just like, I mean, so watching that movie, first of all, we didn't talk about this, but I'm sure you're aware of this. I used to have a Denzel Washington podcast. I hope to still have it someday. It's like part of the retirement plan of like, is that when I can like sit back and just enjoy Denzel Washington again? I mean, I still right, publicly, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, I still do it privately. But so I'm going to go to a Denzel Washington movie, yeah. just whatever. But that one specifically, I also have like a part of me that is like a, you know, sort of like superhero sci-fi nerdy sort of po- like. So when I saw the trailer for that, I'm like. Denzel's doing his like post-apocalyptic cowboy movie. Like I was like, all right, (laughs) sir. And then to get there and realize that like in classic Denzel Washington fashion, you're like, oh, this is about the nature of the world and how we are falling (laughs) apart and how we have to have a mission to hold ourselves together (laughs) and that you don't even know which direction you're going all the time, but you know, you have to Mm -hmm. go West. And then I'm in the Bay Area. Like I've lived in the Bay Area. I was like, that's where I came here. I was on a mission when I came to the Bay Area. Like it felt, it's my love for that movie is not rational. And I know that it's like, doesn't make a lot of people's top five Denzel Washington movies, but it's in mine. And since I'm an expert, I can. Well, do and it. I think also since I think when you bring, when you bring a prestige, and I mean, he is, he's like the height of prestige. When you bring a prestige figure into a genre sort of escapade as it is, that really, like, it takes the material to a different place. Uh, Gary Oldman, I have a lot of feelings around, but he's a very impactful presence on screen. And I watch that being like, man, Gary Oldman, makes sense, is one of our, like, great screen dickheads. And and having him on the receiving end (laughs) of the righteousness of a... God-empowered Denzel Washington. I was, it was mm-hmm. really satisfying. I hadn't watched this in a cup in a number of years, and it was really satisfying, even more satisfying, I think, this time around to watch it. And I think this movie has actually aged phenomenally well. Well, I, I think that's true, too. I think people got caught up in the fact that it wasn't just about the force, that he na- that it names God. <laughs> like, I think that, like, people got, like, real sort of, like, you know, especially people who like that sci-fi mm-hmm. world. I think they didn't like, they would rather it be metachlorians <laughs> yeah. than actually like, no, it's just, it's just a belief in this force and this, and this, and this bigger being that like most of the world probably mm-hmm. believes in. And we're just sort of talking, it's just through this movie. So I think that got, that was off-putting for people. I think that, you know, when you're like the whole time, you're like, what's the book? What's the book? And you find out what the book is. For many of us, it was like, oh, and for a lot of people, they're like, oh, <laughs> so but I also give Denzel credit because, like, it could have been. I'm sure because I, as I know enough about Denzel to know, he is very much a Christian. Mm-hmm. He very much is like, and I think he sort of went through some things early in his life that he's really like committed himself to. But he's not like a out in the world like loud Christian. He's that kind of guy who's like he is just in his religion mm-hmm. every day in his belief, and it is motivating him to do good work. So I think that like that's where, and I think I, and also as a black person. I understand that type of Christianity in a way that a lot of people don't understand. Like, I think a lot of people hear Christian and just go and just immediately jump to like, like, you know, Christian evangelists who are ripping people off mm-hmm. for money or people who like sort of angry people outside of abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, there is a type of Christianity, especially black Christianity, where it's like, how could I get through the day in this country if I did not believe in a higher power that then helped me get through this right. day. And also if I didn't feel connected to my community and feel like if I have a level of privilege, which Zenzo has an immense level of privilege, <laughs> sure. I should be doing things to help people. Yeah. So. so when you first saw the book of Eli, did you feel 
the resonance of this character with you or like as someone you had sort of always been able to identify with? Or is this a kind of figure you feel like you've grown into relating to as you have gotten older? It's funny because, I mean, first of all, I was probably older already when I saw this because I'm pretty old. But anyway, but I hear what you're right, saying. Yeah, yeah. Right, Which, like, even saying. if you were, even if, the, yeah. even if you were yeah. somehow 80 right now and then you, yeah, like, yeah, at, yeah. No. at, like, 65 were like, you know what? I, something yeah, tapped into true. me in the book of Eli. Like, I, I would yeah. love to know yeah. that as well. Well, so I would say this. Like, there are Denzel Washington movies that have, like, that as I've gotten older in my life, they mean more to me now than they mm-hmm. did then. So, like, Man on Fire, when I initially saw... I was like, sort of like, you know, I don't know we can give away spoilers. Oh, These yeah. are all yeah. forever, 20 years old. But Man on Fire, I really wanted an action movie. And it becomes about a guy who's basically becomes the father figure in this little girl's life and will do anything for her. And at the time, I was single with no kids. I'm like, ah, I just wanted an action mm-hmm. movie. Now, as a dad, I'm like, I am the man on fire. <laughs> like, I, was like, like, I will give myself to the Colombian mafia if they, will, if they will let my kids go. Like, I'm like, I get it now. 2010 Book of Eli comes out. I have at that point like written a solo show that because I was I'd stopped sort of working the club so much because I was like, this isn't going mm-hmm. well. So I started I wrote my own one person show called the W. Kamal Bell Curve, Any Racism in about mm-hmm. an hour. And it wasn't it was like it was and my friends were all like, you left the clubs to do a one person show. Like it was <laughs> it's a comedians when comedians do one person show, their friends go. It's like the rest in peace. So right. and even though it was not like it was not in the clubs and not where the auditions were and not where the power is. I was like, this is the best work I've done in my Mm. life. I'm just going to pursue this. Even if I don't know where it ends Mm -hmm. up. And there's no way at that point I could have said it probably ends up at CNN with me having seven seasons of a TV show and me directing a documentary about Bill Cosby. There's none of that is in the, but like, so I understood very much. That was like, that felt right to me. Like, yeah, sometimes you just got to like walk in the direction that I know it's this Mm -hmm. way. And even if I don't know how I'm going to get there and it's like, it's like in the movie, there's all these scenes where it's like, where it's like people are shooting directly at him and it just doesn't mm-hmm. work. Like it just doesn't work. <laughs> and I kind of love a movie that owns the fact that that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like people are like, why isn't it working? And it's just like, cause he's on a mission and the minute the mission is completed, he'll be done. Yeah. Even. And so the, and there's that, so there's that early scene in the movie where the, he has the fight with the guys that is like in the tunnel where you can see like the, it, the it's the, all done in like silhouette and in shadow. Are you listening to me? I am now. Good. You listening to me? Yeah. Good. Put that hand on me again. You won't get it back. God, that was good. And it's and it's and it's choreographed by a guy named Jeff Amata, who is out of the school of martial arts, it's like off the Bruce Lee tree, mm, okay. which I know because I'm that level of nerd. Awesome. And so I was like, when I saw it, I was like, who did this? This is somebody who knows what they're mm-hmm. doing. Found out it was Jeff Amata. Like, I'm also, it's part of the old man action genre. Yeah. Like, as I start to get older, like, to see an old man who can kick ass, <laughs> you know, like, just very calmly kicks ass. And it's very, the whole time he's very clear about, like, I'm going this way. If you want to come with me, that's fine. But I'm going this yeah. way, you know, you know. So it just, it, to me, it was very inspiring. And then I left the theater and heard the response in the general public. And people were like, wah, wah. And just like, I was just like, okay, maybe I need to be quieter about it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not that good. <laughs> Maybe it's not a good movie, but then every time I would watch it, I'd be like, I love this movie. And so then on our podcast, which we had at the time, I promoted it to like being like, this is in my top five. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. That's me with Jennifer's body. I completely relate. There you go. There you go. (laughs) I'm going to take something out of my back. Take your finger off the trigger. Yeah. Eli is 
like one of the last reasonable men in a very unreasonable place. Mm-hmm. And I was like just thinking of it like boiled down to like a, a simplest form in that way. I don't think it's belabored in like making the sort of bridges in this conversation that we're making to say that like what you know what you do in in a lot of your work whether whether it's deciding to go into the one man show with the the W Kamau bell curve and the, or it's the CNN program or it's the book that's coming out it's you're sort of on a path of like being the reasonable figure amidst ever more unreasonable environs and conflicts and being a sort of middle person between warring sides or two sides that are completely unaware of one another and perhaps need to have a bridge built by empathy between them. And I wanted to hear about that sense of being like, do you feel sometimes like it's like, listen, I'm just trying to be a reasonable man in an unreasonable world. I mean, I think, I think I, 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 I hear the way I think about it is this. The platform I've been given, I have, I've, I've gotten this platform. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm very clear. I don't deserve this platform. <laughs> I maybe I worked for, it, but I did not earn it. You know, like I'd say, you know, I just sort of like found myself in the position that I'm in, and I should take advantage of it. And one of those take advantages of it is like make sure to do good work mm-hmm. and always commit yourself to doing good work. And sometimes that's why I get too many things on my plate because there's like too many things I think are good. Mm-hmm. Two. Do 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 work that your that your kids can when they grow up can be like that was good work that my dad did my daughter for the first time my eleven year old finally watched a whole episode of United States of America on Sunday for the first time <laughs> other people's kids watch it all the time my kids not interested <laughs> and so she was asking me during the commercials like I don't understand what was that and we were explaining it and I just feel like I'm glad that I can do that work and the other thing is like if I'm gonna have this platform in this increasingly fractured hectic aggressive in like like innervating and 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 triggering time mm-hmm. i got to do something with it mm-hmm. so it's so even like when i last week i was on cnn promoting united shades and my friends at the comp, at the uh, organization nonprofit shout your abortion mm-hmm. had sent me this t-shirt that said i will aid and abet abortion and it was like i was like am i going to wear this on cnn <laughs> yeah. like is that okay well who would tell me it's not okay but i'm having this in my head yeah. like but I sh- what if I get in trouble? What are you talking? What's trouble? Right, like, you yeah, know, like you're, yeah. you're a grown man. What if they yell at me? Then they'll yell at you. Like, just so I have to sort of like sometimes talk myself into the fact that like I, that as much as people feel like I'm fearless, like I have, I'm thinking these things through. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, f- the look of fearlessness is just me saying, like, put a brave face on. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us are in that position. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the thing that I feel like is like there are things that I that I believe things that I think need to be said people who I think need to be highlighted and I'm in this position where I can do that. And if I don't, then I'm really full of shit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I, what you say about like, you know, using, using your kids as a touch point, is just one example, like that um, presence of that external accountability. I'm always been a big fan of accountability, taking responsibility. It has become more and more important to me as I've gotten older. And just that, that notion of wanting that person I'm accountable to, to be proud of me and to know that I stood up for them has become like a, like such a front of mind, most powerful motivator for how I want to go into situations that could feel fraught. But then it's like, the, am I really going to wear that shirt? It's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking wear that shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to fucking wear that shirt because the alternative yeah. is like, 
abortion bans. Like, it's yes, not like me yes. wearing the shirt stops the abortion ban, but it's me being like, you know what's a big enough deal to emblaze yeah. across my chest? Yeah. Bodily autonomy and health care. Yes. Like, yes. I that that really, like, sinks in for me hearing you talk about that. Yeah, and I think that, like, that's a part of this, like, you know, there's this this sli- this uh, sort of, I love the new slang. This one's not new, but I love the understood the assignment. Yeah. The, that idea of, like, that somebody... Like, it's more than just did the job. It's like they understood to the extent how important the job was and they accomplished the goals at their highest level is how I understand that to be. And so for me, if this is the position I'm in in culture, then I, I need to understand the assignment. People people like me because I think I'm funny, but they also like me because I think I'm funny and I'm also uplifting voices mm-hmm. and giving voice to people who don't ha- get a chance to talk. And so that doesn't mean... I mean, I would lo- I would love to be cast in a spandex superhero movie too, yeah. but <laughs> like you know, I just want to be clear. Not, but I'm not auditioning for them. What I am doing is making documentaries yeah. and going out to do like you know, making United Shades and calling my friend in the middle of the early days of COVID lockdown after George Floyd is murdered on TV, and you're like, and she, like you're an author. I, I I don't want to write another book, but I have this idea and I just can't get it out of my head, mm-hmm. even though. It's going to be hard. It's going to put me on front street again. People might think the book is bullshit. Again, all this stuff about like, what if people hate it? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, then they'll hate it. You know, so I think for me, that's the thing. It's just like there is a thing about like checking in with like who I am. Like I was a kid who wanted to be a comedian because of Eddie Murphy on SNL and Bill Cosby because of the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. I thought that's the direction I was headed. Now, mm-hmm. so happy I didn't head the Bill Cosby direction because that means a lot more now than it yes, did to me indeed, then. Yes, indeed, sir. And and Eddie Murphy still has that job. So like, yep. I think he doesn't, he does not looking for a replacement. I mean, I would say like Kevin Hart basically has that, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's just like, I just feel like that's not what I was put here for. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I also am proud of the fact that like, much like the character in Book of Eli, I just started walking a direction. And then I looked up and was like, Meh. I couldn't have predicted where I ended up if I had did the thing that like, if I had just moved to LA f- as five years into comedy yeah. and started auditioning for every commercial and movie and sitcom and da 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 and voiceover. And I have friends who did that, who, who are now, you know, I got a, my friend, Al Madrigal was in Morbius. Like, you know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, like, you know, and he was, we were on the comedy scene together. I, I remember when Ali Wong started and I was like, ah, she's pretty good. We'll see what happens. Well, we've seen what happens. You know what I mean? So like my friend Hassan Minaj, I was like on the scene when he was back in the day. And I was like, Oh, this guy, he's cute, but I don't know if he, I think he's trying to talk about stuff and maybe we'll see what happens. So it's like, I've seen all the different ways these careers can go. I don't think I've ever talked to somebody who made more intense eye contact with me than Hasan Minaj. I was like, oh my God, like, are we together now? Like, whoa. And he is, and he's been like that. He's been like that. No, him, it's funny. There's a generation of comics that started after me and he was in this, but like him and Ali Wong, I said, had that thousand yard comedy stare that like, oh, I'm going to make it. Mm, Oh, I'm going to make it. Like there was no like, what if I'm not good? I mean, I'm not saying they don't feel that way in their (laughs) but none of it came off of them. Like it all happened behind closed doors if it happened anywhere. Whereas my generation was all the like, I'm probably not good enough. You know, they're dressing for the job they want from day one. Yeah, for sure. And I'm the guy who goes and he goes, I wanted this. I want this job, but you're probably not going to hire me. I'm this is dumb. I'm leaving. So <laughs> that's how you end up having uh, three major projects come out in the first half of one year. Exactly. Now you're probably not going to hire me for this one. So I'll just, I should do another thing to be safe. I mean, to be clear, I like you're probably not going to hire me for this. So I should go do something on my own is, how, is what that is. It's like mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to get this job. So I should probably go. You know, it's the idea of like. You know, it's that it's that uh, what the MIT thing. MIT graduates want to create their jobs; they don't want to get right. a job. And I think it's I think for me in comedy, it was like I need to create the lane because 
I just don't think, I mean, to me, it's like, I don't think that what I, how I do what I do fits. There's not, I don't snap into places like a Lego piece. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm Duplo. Well, then that, I, I think I, I really like that. I, I really like that, like, terminology of, like, creating the lane. And I, I think that that dips into the conversation that, that I, like, I like to bring into this podcast in an overarching way, which is that, like, do you feel like in media – your your kind of only option has been to create the lane because there haven't been sort of forebearers that have been allowed to represent a possibility of like so many career choices that you could be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like that guy because by virtue of just like doors being fucking closed. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I do think about my career often is like I think I'm really happy that I was born when I was because this wasn't all possible. There weren't this mm-hmm. many and just on the very space like there weren't this many channels when mm-hmm. I was a kid. So like. There were only like three, three, three jobs in comedy. Like, like, and one of them was uh-huh. Johnny Carson, host of the Tonight Show, and he was he didn't go for away anywhere for a long time. So he had that. So it's like there just weren't, and there weren't. Then there were less jobs for black people, and I just feel like it. Just like I, I don't know. I mean, I, who knows? I just would. I think I just would have been the. You know, I don't know. Would have just been a local. Like every town has its local legends. That guy, we all thought he was gonna. You know, it's like, so I, maybe I'd have been that guy. And those guys, I know a guy who liked that, but he's also invested in real estate with some of his early comedy money. So, you know, he's doing mm-hmm. fine. But I just, I would have figured out something. Maybe I'd have gone back to college. But I do, I'm aware that like this lane that I'm in, when I was started doing stand-up comedy, there was no way to look at CNN and go, I hope to have a TV show on CNN. Right, yeah. Like there was just, there was, what is that? What are you, are you, so you're going to be a news anchor? Like there was no shows. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And so, like, that wasn't a thing. And so, for me, it's like these things sort of – and even when I started – when I got my first TV show, that didn't exist. It wasn't until that show got canceled that then CNN started to, like, hire Tony Bourdain and and uh, Morgan Spurlock and Lisa Ling. So, I saw that lane being created. And when it was, I was like, oh, look at that over there. And then I got invited into it. So, I think I'm very aware that, like, I am – that th- this is – I would have done something. But the way in which my career works now wouldn't have worked. And so – for most of my career, I think this goes back to the Bruce Lee thing. There's a Bruce Lee quote that is, I'm paraphrasing, like absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. Hmm. And the idea being, so I think I've lived my whole life that way. Like, oh, I like, I could be, I could be like a little bit of that and a little bit of this, and I could put it all together. So like I said to somebody recently, like, they're like, what do you see your career going? I was like, some combination of Alex Trebek and Alex Gibney, the director, the documentary <laughs> yeah. director. Like, I think, because I, I do yeah, think... Yeah, like, the, he direct, like, the director of, like, the big, so many, but, like, the big Scientology documentary. He did like the Scientology, he did the Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Holmes Theranos documentary, he did yes. the Lance Armstrong doc- He's, yeah, so, but he's, like, there, he just, every couple years, there's, like, a big prestige Alex Gibney doc that comes out, he narrates them, so it's, like, that's why I feel like he, there's a little bit of, like, you can sort of feel his presence in there. And then mm-hmm. everybody loved Alex Trebek. And I just feel like I would like to be somebody who eventually <laughs> like had that job that like, like everybody's like, yay, you're just the best because you just, we just like you. And I feel like <laughs> to end up in that space would be where, where ultimately I'd like to be. So yeah, I've always been aware that like it was bits and pieces of other people and, mm-hmm. and, and that it wasn't like that, especially after, at a certain point, which is why I was like, I'm going to go do my one man show in this black box theater and just see what happens, even though that doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense at all. I, that just feels like what I should be doing. We're going to take a quick break, so stay tuned for more with W. Kamau Bell. And later, I have one quick thing about something I'm sure none of you are surprised to hear I have an opinion about, which is the trailer for the coming HBO series, The Idol. Uh, So let's process that together. But right now, stepping out for a break. 
in the briefest time. I feel like we got to know each other. Bro, I appreciate you so much for that. Do you read minds or what? It's really a very sacred space you've created here. <laughs> bullseye! You've hit the bullseye, baby! Bullseye! Interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, were you a reader as a kid? Like, maybe you read a lot of fantasy novels. Or horse girl books. We know how it is. But now you're an adult and you miss reading. You're so busy and you can't figure out how to get back into books. We're Reading Glasses and we're here to help. Yeah, we'll give you advice to figure out what books you love or learn to stop reading books you don't even like. We're really big proponents of dumping that book. Dump that book. But most importantly, we'll help you fall back in love with reading. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I am talking with, as you know, W. Kamau Bell about his favorite actor, the Denzel Washington in the Book of Eli. Now, the I want to like bring together a couple topics that we have hit upon where we we just mentioned documentary work. You mentioned Alex Gibney, and obviously you you work in docu series, and that coupled with like we have talked about a couple of legends in this conversation we have mentioned eddie murphy we are talking about denzel washington and obviously bill cosby and i wanted to talk to you about like having the conversation about you know representation and idols and, and people we find ourselves in and then how when we attach on to people how they can take up such an outsized part of our lives and and for good or for bad depending on the shape that those figures, those real life figures, you know, when they're real people, depending on what they sort of become. And and like you said, Eddie Murphy's still Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy still got the job of Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Denzel Washington is Denzel motherfucking Washington. And Bill Cosby has shifted a lot from what Bill mm-hmm. Cosby, the, the you know, the, the friendly Dr. Huxtable in a sweater um, that he was for so long when it dozens of women accused him of sexual assault. And so I wanted to talk to you about like, in in we need to talk about Cosby. It seems like what you're doing in parallel is like unpacking the figure that was and how we digest him with the figure we now know him to be and trying to maintain those two things at the same time because you kind of can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like the legacy and the persona is too big. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to talk to you about like that double-edged sword of that kind of hero worship where like when we have these avatars, they can mean so much to us and they can blaze trails but when they become more than human and something extremely human and fallible happens, it can break people. Like it can just sort mm-hmm. of shatter something that people have like organized huge emotional parts of their life around. And I, I wanted to hear sort of what you might have gleaned from that in the process specifically of, of making the Cosby docuseries. I mean, I think in that certainly the thing you bring up is even more in the black community is even a heart thornier thing to deal with because, mm. you know, people might like Matt Lauer, but I don't think he was right. a hero to the white community. <laughs> like, I don't think he was like, or, or Kevin Spacey or, you know, or, but whereas any black person breaks through, they immediately, there's a part of like, you're representing us. And, mm-hmm. and also if you, if you rise high enough, then we feel the need to protect you. So right. I think about somebody like, it's funny, like as much as people like sort of look at the R. Kelly thing, but obviously a convicted predator, mm-hmm. assaulter, all of that stuff. 
And at the minute that that happened, they all sort of came to the forward and Dream Hampton's amazing documentary, Surviving R. Mm -hmm. Kelly. I was like every black elementary school, 90% of black churches at some point will sing, I believe I can fly. Yeah. Because that song, even though it was from Space Jam, which is like, it's like, which, <laughs> like sort of. That was, that was how I found yeah, it. Yeah. But it's bigger than, it's big, it's moved on from Space Jam. And it is just like a song that people sing. It's become like a sort of a, like one of the new gospel songs, I believe I can fly. Yeah. And it, and it mm-hmm. is played at anniversaries and weddings and graduations and, and black people have like, and in churches filled with righteous people. And you go, what do you do with that now? Mm-hmm. Like, forget the R. Kelly songs that are weird because they're all about sex. And you're like, wait, what was he yeah. saying there? Like that, that stuff is, I think, easier for many people to go, I'm just going to let that go. But there's, yeah. a, but some of that stuff is like, that's embedded in people and it's going to be hard for them to let that go. And mm-hmm. for me, and the same thing with Cosby, like we've t- I've talked to the members of the crew about this a lot. Like we would be working on the, on the, the edit and we'd have clips from the Cosby show or clips from his standups and you find yourself laughing. Because mm-hmm. that stuff is still good and, and, yeah. and it still resonates. And so in the doc, I tried to rework really hard on that section in episode three to really break down what made the Cosby show great. Because mm-hmm. unless you understand what made the Cosby show great, you don't understand why we have such, we have such a hard time with what we found out with all the mm-hmm. with all the accusations. Because you're like, it wasn't just a regular sitcom. It was a it was first of all, it was an, a, a, a national phenomenon yeah, And for black people, it was like, this is now going to be written in the canon of what black excellence is, the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I, I'm for people who are like, I just going to, I'm going to throw it away. I'm like, I get that. But you have to also, I think have to make space for people who are like, I believe that these women did this, but I'm also, I can't throw this away. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And in, I mean, it's, I feel like it's been a fascinating time in the, in like from the onset of COVID to forward, sort of the realignment of celebrity in our consciousness and like i remember like I, I was working for vulture at the time and there was like you know one of many posts that went up across the internet of like are the celebrities okay <laughs> with like you know the imagine video oh God, and vanessa hudgens video. flipping her hair going people die oh. and it was like it was it, i couldn't remember an experience like that prior to that in my life where there was a sort of unmasking of celebrity mm-hmm. in a way that felt so intense when it happened that it felt like people were waiting to be able to sort of break a set of handcuffs that were attaching them to these idea, these aspirational figures as infallible gods. And, but also at the same time, like, it's great to have aspirational figures and it's great to have things that are just pure enjoyment. Like, it, it is, can you believe in, in in placing your hope in representation when you're always kind of waiting for someone to fuck up mm-hmm. and have something completely horrible mm-hmm. be exposed where you're like, well, there goes another yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I remember when I, that Imagine thing came out uh, and I remember it started going around and I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, this is awful. And then I was like, would you have done that if they called you? Yeah, probably would have. <laughs> I have absolutely sat with myself and been like, if my friend called me and was like, I really want you to do this. Yeah. I would say yes to my well, friend. Also, if, I really... If they had called me, I'd have been like, who's in that? Oh my God. Yeah, I'll be in it. <laughs> I mean, I'd be clear. I've turned down lots of things. I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good look. But it's just like, who knows what I would have said uh, if my agent had sent that to me. An aspect that I was really focusing on when I was watching Book of Eli was 
there is... Denzel Washington is going to make any character, like, eminently Denzel Washington. And there is such a stillness about Eli. And all of these terrible things are are happening around him, sometimes to him. He is, you know, sort of, he is at once, like, this messenger and also the sort of angel of vengeance and justice. But, like, through it all, he is even keel. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that he raises his voice mm-hmm. one time. Mm-hmm. We don't get, like, a Denzel yell. Mm-hmm. That character feels like he kind of has to be above any emotional reaction to be listened to, to be followed, because part of, like, being a black man even wandering through the post-apocalypse, like, he couldn't be, he couldn't be out of line. He couldn't be heavy-handed and and angry. And I wanted to hear from you about, like, where do you, and and dealing with so many contentious topics in, in the way that you do with, like, your documentary work... Where do you find the role of anger fits in, in what you do? And do you feel like you are allowed to access anger when you are like the moderator of, of so many of these journalistic endeavors that you're a part of? I mean, of? yeah, certainly, I, you know, to uh, quote the prophet uh, who is now on tour with his band, Zach De La Rocha, anger is a gift. <laughs> like, I think that I would, <laughs> I would stick that. And they're one of my favorite bands. So certainly anger is a part of my, how I, a part of my get down. But I'm aware, especially being a six foot four, 260, I don't, don't worry about it, but a but big black guy. <laughs> uh, I've been aware for a long time that like people will like ref- act like I'm angry when I'm not doing anything, you know, or people will think like, mm-hmm. calm down, sir. Like me and my black friends joke about that. Like, sir, calm down. But I'm not saying anything, you know, like, so <laughs> I mean, you know, so I, and I, so I'm aware and also I'm aware that I'm just, you know. I sort of joke about this, like when people look at me and they go, I don't know if that's because I'm a big black guy or because I'm the guy from TV. Okay. Especially white people, black people, but that's sort of like, oh my God, what are you doing here? And there's this Uh moment where I have to sort of let it play out. Now, if I react to that and get like, or sort of like get defensive, Mm -hmm. then that's the story. So I think part of being funny is a defense mechanism. So it's a way that which you sort of can disarm situations without having to to go ham the way Denzel does in Book of Eli. But Eli's not Mm -hmm. that funny. So he just has to go (laughs) ham. Uh, I mean, I think it's funny. He's not there's Denzel turn. I mean, that's an acting choice. Denzel turns down a lot of his natural Denzel charm for Book of Eli. He's not Mm -hmm. doing the things that make us go, ooh, Denzel. Like he's really like, (laughs) he sort of turns it all the way down to like, I don't have time for anything but to stay on this mission and I cannot be distracted. And so- yeah, so I think for me, it's like, I think I'm aware that, like, this happens online all the time. People will try to bait me with things or say things. And there's moments where you're like, and you just hold on for a second, hold on for a second. And you go, <laughs> all right, just hit block. You know what I mean? Or 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 if I say something, it's because I, I think it's funny, not because I'm actually really bothered by it. So I think for me, it's like there is that sense of, like, I have a short trigger that's gotten shorter through the pandemic just like the rest of us. But I'm aware mm-hmm. because of the position I'm in and because of the mission I'm on. It is mm-hmm. not worth getting into every fight every day about it. It is not. There's times in Book of Eli where he sort of avoids the fight and sort of keeps it moving. But there's yeah. time, and there's times he's like, there's basically a thing that I like about the Book of Eli. He's got, like, do you really want to do this? Like there's mm-hmm. sort of a like understated. That's always that's an old man action trope. Like the old guy, like yeah. I try not to fight because I really it's just it's not good for anybody when I do and. Yeah. But if you want to do this, we can we can do this. And so Yeah, if you want to do this, everyone in here is gonna die and I'm not gonna except me. Yeah, except me. I'm not gonna you're gonna be like, how did you not get touched? I don't know. I'm on a mission. So I got <laughs> I got this book. You have to guess. Uh 
But yeah, so I definitely think that like as a black man in America, and this is true of black people in general, and also we also know that we can't good behavior our way out of trauma and violence. Like it, you uh-huh. know, there's nothing there's there's no way to so I mean, you know, that's the, the like in the nineties there was all this sort of like black people, when you talk to the cops, be kind and polite and show mm-hmm. them your hands. And you can do all that stuff and still end up dead. So it's still you're not you're just trying to like play the percentages and mitigate the circumstances knowing that it could still end up in a bad place. You mentioned like being, you know, for the mission that you're on, when did the mission start clarifying itself to you? Was it like around the W. Kamau Bell curve? Was it after you'd been doing that for a while? Like was the was the mission part of it when you got into comedy and it became like a mutual vehicle for both? Or did the mission and the comedy, did they enter your life separately? I, so this, I grew up in a house with my mostly my mom's single parent home. Uh would see my dad in the summers, but where there was the, the talk of race and racism was just what my mom did. And also I just wrote about this on Twitter the other day and I was an only child and she didn't always have money for babysitters or didn't care to get babysitters. So I ended up in a lot of grown folk situations sort of sitting in the corner and I was hearing black people post the civil rights movement, talk about why things still weren't great, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, I, I had a joke in my act back in the day of like, I was 11 years old before I realized that a cracker was also a delicious snack. Uh, <laughs> So like, you know, yeah. So it was like, I, I was like hearing all this talk about the man and what we're going to do and the da 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 and, and, and all this from black professional people, like, uh-huh. you know, from the people who are supposed to be like, I won. Cause I got, I'm the only black person who works there. So mm-hmm. I and also going to church and that was like, my mom always wanted to go to churches where they actually were, it's like sort of out of the tradition of Martin Luther King Jr. Where it's not just about the pie in the sky. It's about what do we do here? So I just was always around adult conversations and it was always about race and racism. And that's the way my mom made money was by selling books about racism. She had a book of famous black quotations. So I feel like that was sort of like always going around. But at the same time, I was a kid who just wanted to do comedy because of Saturday Night Live and Jerry Seinfeld and and, and Bill Cosby. You know, mm-hmm. that, that that's what I want to do. Like that's it has nothing to do with the mission. Yeah. When I started to do comedy, it just sort of like it sort of I sort of realized if I told jokes about regular comedy nonsense, crowds would laugh and sort of, and if I ever talked about being black and I started on the North side of Chicago, so it was predominantly white crowds, mm. it would get tense and Chicago's a tense, racially tense city. Now I also mm. was not very funny. Let's be clear about that. Then I moved to the Bay area and I just sort of like, I would sort of see like, if I do these jokes, crowds are okay. If I do these G jokes about race and racism, things get tense. So I sort of would mix them in. Yeah. But you might hear a joke about how men's and men's and women's magazines are different. That's a news breaking news. And then you'd hear a joke <laughs> about like about me being followed by the police. And it's sort of like it was they were maybe some of the jokes were good or not, but it just didn't all add up to anything. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't and then it wasn't until I got a chance to be on Premium Blend on Comedy Central, which was like their mm. comedy showcase show. And I was like, I'm going to put together a set that is just the black shit. Like so the set is like five minutes long. OK. And I'm just going to in the black stuff. And also I had a joke and this was 2000. I want to say this is 2005. Yeah, 2005. And I have a joke about this guy named Barack Obama who people say could be president someday. So I did my uh-huh. joke about Senator Barack Obama. Okay, wow. Yeah. And that later commenters will say was the first joke about Barack Obama ever so on TV or whatever. So I, I had that used to be in my bio for a very brief period of time because I didn't have anything else. <laughs> that's in the week. That's for the Wikipedia. Yes, yeah, but so. Uh, so I did this joke and it was like, and it was like, and I talked about my, I did the joke about cracker and I, I had a joke, I had a joke at the time that said, I'm the product of a mixed marriage. My, my dad is black and my mother's black. 
Uh, <laughs> and it worked and it was good. And I sort of like, and so I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. But then I, over the course of the next two years, I just couldn't get it to all fit together. And I got uh-huh. really bummed out about comedy clubs being places where people like, would just like move on to the next subject or talk about something dirty. And that's uh-huh. when I just, I, I, that's when I decided at some point to like, okay, I'm just going to go to a, I'm going to go to a different space. I'm going to go to a uh-huh. small black box theater. I'm going to put my name on the marquee. And if you want what I'm selling, it's in there. Uh-huh. So if you come into that door, I get to do whatever I want to do. It clarified very quickly after that. Now, do you, when the very end of the book of Eli, when we have, we, we are, we're crossing the Golden Gate Bridge and then we go. And I'm, and I'm, kind I'm of crying in the theater. I'm like in the theater. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, That's where no. I live. It is so moving anytime I see the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's yeah, why honestly. I destroy it in so many movies, because they know it hurts your feelings. <laughs> I, I, I lived in the Bay for seven years, and it was seven wonderful years. Mm. And it feels like it feels like living in San Francisco feels like living in a place that the fog washes in. Yeah. And then when the fog goes away, you disappear with it. Like yes. it feels like a place sort of in its own snow globe yes. in many ways. Yeah, I feel, I say, and, it's like San Francisco not a city. It's a hamlet. It's, it's, a, it's a hamlet. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And when like, even like computer jet with computer generated decimation on a bridge that's like split in half by disaster. I was like, Oh, it's the city. <laughs> like, <laughs> the city as we call it. Look, the city's still there. You know, I, I see myself in Mila Kunis freezing her ass off on a boat in the San Francisco Bay, mm, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. utterly relatable. Yeah. And I wondered what I was watching at the very end. Like, is this movie like conscious of the implications of being like we will restart civilization from an infamous prison island? Mm-hmm. It feels like a museum. Oh no, it, it's much more than that. This is where we're going to start again. We've got a printing press. It'll be operational quite soon. We're going to teach people about the world they lost. Help them start to rebuild it. We will remake the world in a better image mm-hmm. and distribute the written word. And we will be the center of sort of like getting art and culture back out into the populace from a print. Did they pick Alcatraz because it was a pretty island? I, I or do you think they were like, this means something? I, I don't think there's any way you pick Alcatraz and just think of it as a pretty island. The name, I mean, my kids know what Alcatraz is and we've never been. It's just like they already know that it's the prison island. So yes. I think there's, and I, I always think about this. Like I remember uh, the great screenwriter, rest in peace, William Goldman, uh, wrote like mm-hmm. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm-hmm. wrote Misery, wrote The Princess Bride, like just, he basically wrote in every genre of film you can write in. Uh, mm-hmm. And he has a series of books about screenwriting called, uh, which one of them, the, the one I'm thinking about is called Which Lie Did I Tell? Uh, mm, which okay. I, I recommend it for people interested in Hollywood and screenwriting. And part of the thing he says is that what you don't realize as a viewer of movies is that if an A-list actor gets signed on to something, they also come with a writer who goes, now I'm going to, whatever you, whatever the script says, I'm going to now fix this so there's enough of, of this actor's things that they like to do in movies in this. Yeah. And some of that is, or, or, or this character now, instead of being a lawyer, is going to be a teacher because she wants to play a teacher. You know, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. There's just sort of this. And I, and I don't think there's an accident that I, I kind of wonder. And I, we interviewed the, uh, for our Denzel podcast, the writer of Book of Eli. And I don't think we asked this question. I kind of wonder if there's a draft of that where it's not the Bible. That's a really, because I, watching it this time, I was really, I was taken aback. I'd forgotten how long it takes them to actually say. Gary Oldman's heavy, Carnegie's heavy, Mm -hmm. is like, you know, why is this so important, basically? And he's like, it's not a book, it's a weapon. It's not a fucking book. 
It's a weapon. A weapon aimed right at the, the, the hearts and minds of the weak and the desperate. It will give us control of it. And Denzel saying at one point, like, they say that this book was the reason for the war in the first place, mm-hmm. like the great war that destroyed the world. Mm-hmm. But the I don't know that they actually say it until he is on the boat rowing to Alcatraz mm-hmm. with guns pointed mm-hmm. at him. And he says, I am in possession of a King James Bible. Yep. Yep. Like they keep it broad the until the very close. Yeah. And I was like. Wow, yeah. I and you because they very cleverly obscure the cover. Mm-hmm. He constantly hides yep. the visual of the book, and it's only when Gary Oldman asks Solara, Mila Kunis's character, "What is what did the book look like?" and she holds up a cross yep, with her it. fingers, that's right, that's right. that we get any indication of what this could even be. Yeah. And obviously, he's you know quoting familiar lines, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But they don't actually say Bible yeah, yeah. till the very end. Yeah. So that's a very good point. Yeah, I feel like there's probably uh, even I. I Definitely, it was batted around like, does it have to be the Bible? <laughs> like, I feel like there's probably versions yeah. where they're like, could it? Because, you know, that's how it works in Hollywood. I mean, just humor me for a second. Let's pretend it's not the Bible. Let's pretend it's a Thomas Guide, you know, whatever it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or, Julia Ro- or Julia Child's Joy of Cooking. That brings people together. Yeah. Uh, you know, so <laughs> I think that, like, I, I just wonder, I just really feel his presence in a movie like Book of Eli because mm-hmm. I, I think if they had told him it's a... Uh, you know, it's a serious catalog. He'd have been like, I'm not interested. <laughs> I think he needed it to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think he needed it to be. And so that's the other thing I feel like some Denzel Washington movies benefit if you really know his career and pay attention because you're like, oh, this is in response to the other stuff that's out there. Oh, this is him, like, really owning this lane of, like, of like sort of this is a way for him to get his version of Christianity in here in a way that is acceptable to him. Because, you know, he, a lot of actors wouldn't want to be in a movie where the hero is the mm-hmm. Bible. <laughs> you know, like, it's not like, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, and not in a, where yeah, not in a bad way. So, yeah, I think it's, it's. Yeah, especially coming out in the most godless time, which was the 2000s in pop yeah, culture. No, it's, uh, I, I, so I do think, I've watched it several times since then. I agree with you. I do think it is, it is aged better. And I think if you look at his, his, his films that wherever people ranked it back then, it's going to move up higher just because I think especially now when people are like, really want some sort of sense of like, how do we get through this? What's the mission? What can I do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, get up every day and walk in the direction that you know that you can do the most good in. You know what? I was going to like try and ask a wrap up question, but I think that's the wrap up. <laughs> like, I think that, I think that parting note is, is the wrap up. And so is there any last shouts out you would like to give W. Kamau Bell to the people of all the things that are this year for you? What is the thing that is most new and now that people can go out and watch or buy or find the book. I'm really excited about the book coming out, the do the work. Uh, it really, me and my friend Kate who wrote it, Kate Schatz, who also wrote the book, Rad American Women A to Z. Our motto for the book is funny, but not fucking around. They didn't let us put that on the cover, <laughs> but it is a book for people who have been through the last two years and who, who went through 2020 and, re- and thought there was a racial reckoning and are now like, wait, I don't know if we reckoned with that or think there was one when there wasn't. It's yeah. an activity book to actually introduce you or or speed you along through how to turn America into an anti-racist society. And I'm really proud of it and excited for it to get out there. And yeah, United Shades is on the air. But uh, so those two things. 
W. Kamau Bell, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me. I am so grateful that people do this with me and have uh, long conversations. And so thank you. I, I just so appreciate you coming on and getting a chance to put some shine on a Denzel title yes. that is not necessarily in people's like Twitter top five yeah. lists of, of appointment Denzel. But I disagree. Yes. To all the other podcasters out there connected to Denzel Washington, and you're more likely to get me to show up. Denzel Washington, <laughs> Bruce Lee, or Michael Jordan. And I'll be like, oh, I should probably show up. Well, thank you for joining us again. And uh, I appreciate you taking Thanks the time. Thanks for having me. This was fun. And also happy to do things for Max Fun. Thank you to W. Kamau Bell. Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book, has just hit the shelves. And the cover of the book really tips you off to what you're going to find inside. It says, quote, For all the people overwhelmed by racial injustice and white supremacy in America, who've taken some action and know they can do more, but don't always know what to do or how to do it, or are afraid of getting it wrong or not knowing enough, and are left wondering, what do I do? So if that's you, there you go. And honestly, that's all of us. If you're white, if we're white, that's like true. Like, do the work um so yes thank you w kamau bell and now i'm going to truly defile the entire previous conversation and i have one quick thing to say before i go um god recently the trailer the the first trailer for sam levinson's series made in collaboration with the weekend um known legally as Abel Tesfe, uh, they have come together, as the title card tells us, from the sick and twisted minds of... And, like, if a thing's gonna tell you... Somebody had a great reaction to this on Twitter. It was, like, they had the title cards, like, from the sick and twisted minds of, and it was, like, a meme image of Bernie Sanders with, like, eyes wide, looking so intrigued and horrified. And then it said, like... Sam Levinson, the, like the guy who brought you HBO's Euphoria, and then like the following image is Bernie Sanders looking very underwhelmed by that fact. Um, see, the problem with the problem with this guy is that I'm gonna watch his shit, and I'm I'm not proud of that. I don't I don't like that about myself, but I know it's true because I watched this trailer, and it seems to be about either an aspiring or an established or becoming more established. I don't know a pop figure, celebrity figure in the form of. Uh, the stunning Lily Rose Depp, young Lily Rose Depp. She is taking to the the streets and the nights and the stages of Los Angeles, perhaps um, aspiring to dreams of great stardom. And she falls into the influence of uh, a, I don't know, maybe mysterious figure or just obviously awful figure in the form of The Weeknd, who is, as I understand it from reading the description of the show, a cult leader. He's like a guru and a cult leader. And he comes to form a very um, complicated, I guess, bond. We'll call it bond in the most polite sense of the, in the most polite possible euphemism for whatever goes on between the two of them. Uh, Lily Rose's character. And what would a Levinson series be without a fucked up uh, power imbalance between two characters having a possibly inappropriate sexual relationship? What What would a work of his be without that? But I will say, the thing is, this man gets the best casts of people in his shows. I know nothing about The weekend as an actor. Fine. Indifferent. But, like, like oh, this... <laughs> guys. Troy Savon's here. Debbie Ryan? 
you guys is here. Rachel King Senate is here. Star of Shiva Baby, star of the upcoming Bodies, 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 in which she steals every minute of screen time. She's present. Jenny Kim, that's right, K-pop fans. That's right, Blackpink Nation. Jenny from Blackpink is credited in the show. Hari Neff is here. Here's two you need to prepare yourself for. Anne Heche. Anne Heche is in the idol, you guys. And you know who else is credited for all six episodes? Elizabeth fucking Berkeley. So somebody responded to me on Twitter when I posted the trailer and they're like, I'm getting showgirls vibes from this. And then I looked up the cast and saw Elizabeth Berkeley and was like, wow, too true, guy. <laughs> like, turns out. Um, but here's the bitch of it all for me personally. As much as I like see the tent poles of what this is and I know that Amy Simons was supposed to direct this series and then they went in a different creative direction. Uh, so as long as this show, which is completely marketing Lily Rose Depp as the gonna carry you through the narrative on her tiny, beautiful shoulders character. I'm gonna be happy about it in that way. I'm gonna be glad it's the Lily Rose Depp show. But here's, this is the way that this thing got its hooks into me and I just have to give myself over to it. I have to admit that, which is like, there's a moment in this trailer for this show amidst a woman literally shouting, a choreographer literally shouting more, more, more orgy at a group of dancers. Come on. After saying, drop it, spank it. Like, screw you, man. Uh, my neon demon heart is obviously fluttering at this point. And then there's a big king's table filled with people and the weekend looks at Lily Rose's character and says, like, why don't you just be yourself? And Lily Rose, Lily Rose Depp, just looks at this person with disdain and, and drips at him because, because there's, there's nothing, nothing about, about me that's, that's relatable. And God, could that be more true coming from the unbelievably sculpted visage of Lily Rose Depp? Um, this show's going to be depraved, probably, and it's going to make me uncomfortable, and it's going to look really good, and I'm just hoping Lily Rose Depp gets, like, a great platform to be kind of awesome, because I think there's a lot of potential here, and yeah, so that's my complicated, as ever complicated feelings on the new Insert Sam Levinson property here, this one in the form of The Idol. Um, so come with me on this journey of being emotionally compromised over a show about beautiful people, which is... 100% on brand for me. And that, we've come to the end of it. I told you I was going to defile the entire preceding conversation, and I did. That is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorcrew on Twitter. That's J O R C R U. Our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.